Well, uh, at the beginning of the year, I preached a message. I had no intention of a series. Um, didn't necessarily have an intention uh, at the time of a of a theme for 2021. Uh, but the Lord just spoke into my spirit about His kingdom first. You you know that, and I preached a couple messages uh, on that. And then um, last week, let me add, while it may not have been a part of my series, what an awesome word from the Lord that went right along with the series and the theme that Sister Shauna Sizemore delivered. Did you did you get to hear that last week? If you did and you appreciate it, let her know how much you appreciate her. <clears throat> Phenomenal word from the Lord. Um, and thank you to everybody that covered my post. You know me, I do not like to miss, period. Uh, and I had to miss. I was told I, I couldn't be here. I was negative for strep flu and COVID, but my symptoms were so similar to COVID. They did a send-off test and asked me to stay in uh, until Monday, and I did, and it was also negative. But um, So thank you to everyone that covered my post. But I will tell you this, a couple things that I learned. Number one, I had some real good church at home with the dog in my family room while Shauna was preaching. Uh, Bentley and I worshiped and, and just had a good time together. And then the second thing I learned is uh, why some of you like watching online so much. Because just as I had told Angie, I said to go out and eat and you all fellowship with everybody and just bring me something to eat later. So as soon as it was all over the second time around, I just flipped the TV off and got up and went right to all kinds of different tasks and got some things done. So those of you that... Um, are staying home, uh, the, if the guys in your family are not helping, I'm just going to throw this out there, if they're not getting up after it's over and swiffering the floors and cleaning the bathrooms and all that kind of stuff, then you, then you might ought to give them a choice, either come back to church or you got to do that when it goes off. So, uh, but anyway, uh, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but the Lord has directed me, um, he, he's just kept, kept speaking this into my spirit, and I'm not going to take very long this morning. What I'm actually going to do is introduce to you uh, what we're uh, about to do this morning. But the Lord has been speaking to me about us placing His uh, kingdom first. And there are some things about the kingdom of God, if it is the genuine, authentic kingdom of God, there are some things about it and our participation in it that are oftentimes quite uncomfortable. Can I hear an amen? If you will, stand with me all over the room this morning. We're going to read two verses of Scripture. Uh, found in the book, first of all, book of John, chapter 12, verse 25. This is the words of Jesus himself, and here's what he said. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. And those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Think about that and process that for a moment. Then very familiar passage of Scripture in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We want to speak to you this morning for a few moments on the subject of the uncomfortable kingdom. If you will, 
Pray with me and for me one more time. Father, we just thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace, and your anointing. We thank you for your presence in this room right now. I pray, Father, that you would decrease me until I'm nothing. Let your Holy Spirit be increased within me. And all of these staff members that will speak today, God, I ask you to anoint their lips to proclaim your word. Lord, not with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but let your word come forth today in the demonstration and the power of your spirit and your anointing. God, anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you are speaking to your people today. And more than anything, Father, let every hearer, whether online or in this room right now or later today, God, let them be changed by your word. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. By and large, the church, as most of us have known it, has become another consumer-driven culture whereby we all shop. Some of you helped me preach this morning. For the one that suits us uh, best or the one that makes us feel most comfortable. Isn't that what most everybody is looking for? When the reality is, that's not at all the way that Jesus intended for it to be. What if we allowed church to become something that doesn't seem to suit us at times? Something that pushes us and challenges us to the point that more often than not, we find ourselves not feeling very comfortable at all. What if we allowed church to become something that we expected to be quite uncomfortable, actually, because we're willing to acknowledge the condition of our own spiritual health and that that could always be better than it is right now? Can I hear an amen? What if we stopped viewing church as something that should cater to our own personal preferences but actually embraced the discomfort of God's kingdom knowing that it produces growth inside of us. And as we grow together in grace, thereby we grow God's kingdom together. See, the problem with growth for most most of us is the fact that it's uncomfortable. Anyone who has ever grown in a skill, a sport, uh, an art form, a job, knows that growth doesn't come by the way of comfort. Growth only happens when we push ourselves outside of our comfort zones and allow our confidence and our assumptions to be shaken. If you've ever pushed yourself in physical fitness, the first time you push weights is harder. It gets easier as you go, but it's extremely uncomfortable in the beginning. The first time you get on that treadmill and, and you walk two miles uh, at, a, at a higher rate of speed, it's real uncomfortable, isn't it? But it gets easier the more you go. But see, those who are unwilling to stay the uncomfortable course are the people that simply quit. They give up and they give in. And those people are not the people who win medals. They are not the people who become pro athletes. And they're also not people who leave a lasting impact on their world. They're also not the people who build the church or the kingdom of God. The builders and the changers of this world are the ones who are willing to put their own comfort aside for the sake of something greater. I want to challenge you. If you call yourself a part of the church of the living God, and particularly if you call yourself a part of Freedom Point family, I want to challenge you today to lay aside all of your personal expectations and preferences for what church should be 
and embrace the discomfort with us as we allow God's Spirit to make us uncomfortable at times in order that His work may be accomplished within us. As we allow God's standard of holiness to challenge us because God still has a standard of holiness. As we allow God's standard of holiness to challenge us in such an uncomfortable way that it completely changes our lifestyle. As we allow the truth of God's Word to convict us and embrace the pain that it inflicts when it sometimes cuts us to the bone. Because the writer of Hebrews said that his word was quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. That's what the word said. As we embrace the discomfort that comes when we strive for unity that can only be accomplished when we love others with the same love that Jesus loves us with. As we worship, even when it's uncomfortable, Because our worship should never be based on us or how we feel. But only on Him because He's worthy. No matter what kind of day or week I had, He's still worthy. No matter how I feel this morning, He's still worthy. No matter how hard it is, He's still worthy. And also, as we allow our worship to be so intense that it's uncomfortable at times. And as we make a commitment to embrace the discomfort and the inconvenience of putting His kingdom first. Because when we do, I believe we will all discover that the benefits and the rewards far outweigh the discomforts. We will be living and experiencing What happens when a church becomes totally yielded to a God who knows how to build his own kingdom? I ask that you listen intensely today as some of our staff comes to share with you what the Lord has spoken to them this weekend. Amen. I'm going to read out of 1 Peter 1. 15 through 16, it says, but he, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And this morning I want to talk to you just for a few minutes on uncomfortable holiness. You see, as children of God, we're commanded to be holy because God is holy. And we live in a world that holy is not a popular word. Holy is not a word of trend. Holy is a word that we put, when we hear it, we want to almost put a cap on ourselves that says that I should look a certain way, I should appear a certain way. But we forget that holiness begins on the inside of us and will reveal itself. We will begin to show who God is when we allow Him to walk us through being holy. See, God is perfect, but you and I are imperfect people. You see, holiness says I'm different, because, not because of me, 
but because he who lives in me. That's what makes me holy. Not because of what I can do, but because of what he does through me. You see Romans 12, 1, 1 through 2. Pastor Sean already touched on it. It says, I'm going to read out of the New King James Version. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, to, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You see, we're to be transform. When God comes into our life, there's something that takes place on the inside and then God will begin to transform us. You see, holiness is uncomfortable because it's easier to just blend in. It's easier to just look like everyone else. It's easier to talk like everyone else. It's easier to act like everyone else. But when we can say, God, I want to be holy. I want to be uncomfortable. Holiness, that's what I want in my life because I don't want to talk like everyone else. I don't want to look like everyone else. I don't want to act like everyone else. But God, I want to represent you and your holiness and your kingdom because that is uncomfortable. See, we live in a world that wants to be comfortable. We live in a world that if it pleases us, if it is at our fingertips, if it works for us, then that's what we want to do. But see, verse 2 says the word tells us not to be conformed to this world be transformed you see transform means to is not a popular word because having a standard is uncomfortable my friends holding up a standard is uncomfortable and see when you hold up a standard of holiness you're saying i'm willing to set myself apart you see we have many things that we set apart through our life ladies gentlemen i'm sure many of you do when we wash our clothes we set them apart by colors you see, when we go to the grocery store, you know, and we put things in our refrigerator, we begin to take our vegetables and our meat and they go in different places. We begin to set apart our, our refrigerated things from our frozen items, you know, see, so to be holy, it's already part of our life to begin to set things apart. Why do we not look at ourselves from a holy aspect and said, I'm going to set myself apart from a world that I don't want to be a part of, that I have to be in this world, but I don't have to be of this world. I'm beginning to set myself apart from the things that are unlike God. You see, Jesus calls us in John 17, 15, through 16, again, I already said it, to be in this world, but we're not to be of the world. I've seen this quote and someone had, it, it, that said this. It says, when you don't know who you are, you get influenced. But when you know who you are in Christ, you're the influencer. And when I read that, I thought that's so important. It's so easy for us to live in a world that we want to, we allow the influence of the world. We allow the influence of our friends. And we actually were talking briefly about that as we pulled out of the house. It just a topic of discussion that come out this morning that it doesn't matter whether it's our friends, whether it's what we watch, whether it's what we listen to. We can be easily influenced by those things. Matthew five thirteen through 14 says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and tampered un underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, a city set up on a hill that cannot be hidden. I believe we have a generation 
that is, doesn't want the fake anymore. They want the real thing. If a salt loses its flavor, it's no longer good anymore. You begin to throw it away. This generation is saying, I don't want the fake. I want to see what you have that is real. And we've got to show the God that we serve is real. And what is in us, the holiness that's in us. Because holiness is simply right living. That's all holiness is. It's saying, God, I want to live right for you, God. In our opening verse, and I'm almost done, 1 Peter 1.15 says, You also be holy in your conduct. You see, the dictionary, the meaning of conduct is in a manner in which way a person behaves. You see, the, the purpose of holiness is not only to benefit us, but it benefits those who are in our lives and those who are around us. You see, we have a world that's not looking for someone like them. They're not looking for someone who talks like them. They don't want someone who walks like them. They're looking for someone who's different, who, un, up, who upholds an uncomfortable holiness, who upholds an uncomfortable standard. Because when we do that, when we allow God to work out the things in us. And when we allow and say, God, I'm going to hold a standard. Lives are changed. Lives are turned around. Chains are broken. And people are led to God. So I challenge you this morning. Holiness is uncomfortable. But when we hold up a standard that says I'm willing to be different in a world that wants us to conform. Amen. I could have chose someone else to go behind. But uh, my topic this morning is uncomfortable truth. And how many knows that sometimes truth is hard to be told? Sometimes the last thing that we want to be told is something that is true. And that's the same way when it comes to us as Christians. Is the last things that we want to be done, is told is that we need to mark up to a certain standard. And you know what? In John chapter... 14 verse number 6 Jesus said to him I am the way, the truth, and the life No one comes to the Father Except through me In John 14 verse 13 It says however When the spirit of truth Has come He will guide you into all truth For he will not speak of his own authority But whatever he hears He will speak And he will tell you things to come and see, it is so important that we get to know the truth because the truth is important even though it makes us feel uncomfortable. The last thing that I want to do is to be able to come into church and pastor preach a word of truth and it makes me feel uncomfortable. But I know that there's times that even myself has to mark up to the truth of God. You see, I, I heard a commercial there a few years ago of a woman and she was talking to her next door neighbor and she was spewing out all kinds of statistics, all kinds of things. And her neighbor just looked at her like, what are you talking about? Where did you get that? She said, I got it off the internet. She said, it has to be truth. And you see, that is so true today is we think because that's the way that Mama used to do it or that's the way that Uncle or Annie used to do it or that's the way that so-and-so done it, that it's the truth when God says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, you can't do anything else, but it's through Him. And you see, that's what's been going on this whole time is from the very first temptation in the, of the world in the, in the garden until now, man has tried to defy God and control his own destiny. And you see, in fact, it's totally the opposite. Nothing enslaves us more than sin. 
And nothing enslaves the church more than a sinful church that is not obeying to the truth of God. You see, it corrupts our very thinking is whenever we try to do our own thing. It, it tries to control our actions. You see, whenever you're, you're enslaved in sin and you don't listen to the truth, you see, you don't walk, you don't talk, you don't act the way that you used to. You, you don't even act like a Christian anymore. You see, whenever you start to be enslaved to sin because you don't listen to the truth, you see, it starts to affect our peace. How many knows that whenever you see somebody starting to backslide, there's somebody that's miserable? There's somebody that, listen, you can't talk to because, you know what, they've lost their joy, they, they've lost their zeal, they've lost their way, they've lost their shout, they've lost whatever it is because sometimes they don't want to obey to truth. You see, the, the truth is that sin separates us from God. You see, there's too many people in our corporate churches, not only in this church, but our corporate churches across America, across the world, that know the truth but still live a defeated, sinful life. You see, because we know that truth hurts, but yet we want to go ahead and we want to walk over the truth because it's all about me, feel-good type thing. You see, last night whenever I started thinking about this, my mind went a whole lot of different ways, but I went to John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 about the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. You see, the world was very quick to point out all of her sins, all of her faults, everything that she had done wrong, just like the world is today, just like a lot of the church people that we deal with. The very second that we make a mistake, they're all there to say, "That's I told you they wouldn't be able to make it. I told you. So, so many times, just like then and today, they were there to point out all of her faults because she was caught in the very act. She had no other uh, alternative. She couldn't have said that she didn't do anything because she was caught in that act. But then truth steps in. And I'm so glad for truth because I'm glad that over 25 years ago that truth stood, stepped in in my life. Because aren't you glad that, that, that truth stepped in and said, you know what, I'm going to bail you out for a sin that you can never pay. I'm going to bail you out for a debt that you can never repay. Because Jesus said to the woman, let, or said to him, let any one of you without sin be the first to cast a stone at her. And then I like what he said. And then he said, you know what, I condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go. And true said, sin no more. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 11, For the word of God is a living and a powerful, as Pastor Sean said, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit. The word is, is, has proven to be sharper than any two-edged sword, and sometimes the spirit of truth, the Holy Ghost, will separate truth and sin in our lives if we'll allow the truth to be real in our lives. You see, it can cause someone to change directions Immediately, that's what the truth can do. The truth can get somebody going this way, and all of a sudden, he can do a turnabout and say, you know what, I'm going to go this way. That's what the truth can do. The truth can change your direction in an instant. In John chapter 8, verse 32, he said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You see, whenever I started looking at that scripture, it says, then you shall know the truth. That's you. It's nobody else, but it's something personal. He was speaking personally to his disciples at that time. He said that you refers to the true disciples. If we're going to be true disciples, then you know what? We're going to have to obey. We're going to have to heed to the truth of God. You see, I believe more now than ever, God is calling the church to be more disciples. I don't believe that he's calling us to be pretenders. I believe that he's calling us to step up. I believe that God is saying, you know what? If you're going to be a true disciple, then you're going to have to hear the truth of God. You're going to have to have your eyes open, and you're going to have to mark up to the calling. 
And you see, I believe to be true disciples that we must be willing to mark up to the truth of God's Word. I was talking about who he followed. I get to follow the dynamic duo. <laughs> They're a lot better than Batman and Robin, though. I, I want to start by reading Ephesians 4, chapters 1 through 6. It's on the screen for you there. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So I want to speak to you just for a minute this morning about the discomfort of unity. First, I want to tell you what unity is, and then we're going to say what it is not. Unity is the quality or state of not being multiple. Oneness, harmony, it's an unbroken consistence, consistent existence in purpose or action without change. That's my favorite one. I'm going to repeat that. An unbroken, consistent existence in purpose or action without change. Okay? That's what unity is. Now, unity is not uniformity. Uniformity is, uh, we, we don't want uniformity in the church or at home or in work or anywhere else. Because when you have uniformity, you have a bunch of clones. When I think of uniformity, I think of like a military uniform or a school uniform. You are told exactly what to wear. If a military person is told to wear their fatigues for a drill, they don't come out, well, well, I, I guess I can throw this on. It's good to work in. They have to be dressed right down to the boots, the hat, the shirt, the pants, the belt, everything exactly alike. That's what uniformity is. But we're talking about unity. Unity in a dress code, to further that example, would be, okay, if you would, everyone dress in bl uh, blue and white. You know, and then you choose. Maybe somebody will wear a, a white shirt and somebody will wear blue. Somebody, you know, you, you can mix it up. You have the unity there. But it's not uniform, okay? Does that make sense? Unity in the church body is a body of believers with individual members working together. And we are unified because we have things in common. First of all, we're members of the same body who all become members in the same way. By accepting God's grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where we came from, who we are, how old we are, what we've done, what we've not done. We all come to him and we become unified in the body of Christ the same way. We're glued together by his spirit and we have the same mission 
And that mission is to proclaim Christianity because the Holy Spirit is at work in us. Not because of anything we've done, but we are able to do that, not because we bear the label Christian, but because His Spirit is at work within us. And we've heard a lot recently about unity in our country, haven't we? Or division, as the case may be. With everything going on, uh, everyone is, that, that's what the talk is, of how divided we are. And I found this quote uh, by Dr. Tony Evans that I, I want to share. I think I told Pastor Sean about it, and he alluded to it the other night. But I thought it was so good, and we can, we can really identify this. And he said, we can't fix the White House until we fix the church house. That's good, isn't it? That's where it gets uncomfortable. You see, because there is a foundation to unity, and that is love. And uh, the foundation of love is skewed in our culture about what real love is. First of all, love is not a feeling. It is a commitment. We... In our culture, so often you see love as portrayed an emotional prerequisite, if you will, for commitment. I love you and then I commit. When really it's supposed to be exact opposite. You commit and then the love grows out of that. I will never forget, it's probably been hmm, 20-something years ago now, we had an assembly at our school, it was at Corbin High School, and the kids, of course, they always liked assemblies because you get out of class, right? Uh, And we heard ahead of time that the assembly was going to be uh, two sisters, one played the violin and one played the piano. And the first thing that goes through your mind as an educator of uh, 800 teenagers in the building is, oh my goodness, you know, we're going to have to line the walls and you know, stay after them to be good. So we filled up the auditorium, and they came in there to that assembly. Nothing on the stage but a piano and a violin. They walked out, and I'm telling you what, I've never heard anything like it. You could have heard a pin drop in that auditorium, and it was packed out with teenagers, grades 9 through 12. They were amazing, amazing I've never heard music like that. To get It sounded like a whole orchestra, and it was just the two of them. And they just played one song right after another together in perfect harmony and unity. You know, we, that, that's what we saw. We saw the passion of it. You could tell they were such passionate musicians, and they loved what they were doing. And we got to applaud them for that. And we got to uh, give them standing ovations. And, and we got to say, encore, play more. It's so good. And, and, and it was just a, a wonderful experience. And afterwards, though, they stayed and they said, uh, you know, if any students would like to hang back, if your teachers will allow, we'd be glad to ask. They toured the country. I, they were from uh, somewhere in one of the New England states. So I want to say maybe they were from uh, Boston or somewhere like that. They went all over the country playing and doing these concerts. And I'm sure uh, what they did for us was just gratis, you know, because they wanted to share their passion with these students. But I'm sure that they made a good living at what they did. And so when the students hung back to ask questions, 
what became evident was the invisible part of their life. That was that commitment about practicing until your fingers bleed. It was that commitment of practicing and playing together when you didn't even like each other. They were sisters. <laughs> it was about that commitment of, uh, you know, we get up and we do this for a number of hours every single day, whether we want to or, or we don't. And particularly the band students and the musical students that had stayed to ask them questions, they were just in awe of that. And out of that, uh, God gave me a message that I will never forget. He said, just like faith, in the book of James it says this, faith without works is dead. And he said, just like faith without works is dead, passion without commitment is dead. And so I wanted to share that with you. So here's the thing. When we're particular, not particularly lovable <laughs> or we're actually downright unlovable, that's when the base quality of love has to kick in, the commitment part. Number two, love serves others. It's not selfish. And it's just not in those grandiose services that we do that people know about in church or in the community. You know where love's uh, or service starts? At home. Just like Dr. Tony Evans said, we can't fix the white, we can't pass up the church house to fix the White House. Guess what? Our model of service, we can't pass up our homes and our families to fix the church. Mm. That didn't cost you anything. Biblical love is about committing to others and helping them be more like Jesus, not more like us. The component that makes this possible is humility. And yes, it can be uncomfortable, can it? Apostle Paul said in Ephesians, where we read uh, the first verse, I beseech you to walk, not talk. <laughs> I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, unity is required if we want our church to be empowered. It's crucial for the church body to be effective in our common mission. And guess what? Our mission is not just here. Our mission is out there. Using the physical body as an analogy makes it really clear to us. Brett McCracken said this, Imagine a body where one leg had a different idea of where to walk than the other, or where the lungs and kidneys had totally different opinions about how the body should function. That disunity would destroy the body. All the parts, all of us, have to recognize we need each other and humbly work together through love, and commitment. If we can come together with that common bond, which is the love and truth that exist in Jesus Christ, we can be a powerful witness to this fragmented world around us. And that's how we fulfill our mission.
Amen. Psalms 150 and 6 says, Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise you, the Lord. You know, sometimes our worship, Pentecostal worship, can be a little bit uncomfortable. You know, sometimes worship can be uncomfortable. You know, you bring your first-time guest, and the Spirit's moving. You're like, oh, no, what am I going to do? Um, but the thing why it's uncomfortable is because we're allowing ourselves to be vulnerable to what the Spirit wants to do. Um, you know, we move our agenda out of the way. We move our comforts out of the way. We offer a sacrifice of praise unto Him, and we lift our worship to Him. In John four twenty three through 24, it says, But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so that those who worship Him much worship in spirit and in truth. You know, this weekend I was reminded of the song, the story behind the song, The Heart of Worship. And the story is, Matt Redman was a worship pastor on staff at a church, and a pastor came to him and said, all right, for a season, we're going to take away all the instruments, all the sound, all the lights, all the production part of it. He said, we're going to take it all away, and we're going to come back to what it really means. And so they gathered in a room, and I'm sure that it was uncomfortable. You know, they didn't have a guitar. They didn't have nothing. They just started singing. And, you know, when you think about the lyrics to that song, it says, when the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth. You know, the thing is, they set an atmosphere, but it wasn't an atmosphere that was set by lights, by sound, by media. It was an atmosphere that was set of true worship. You know, you don't have to have everything to worship. You know, sometimes we become dependent on that to worship. And when we do that, we're saying, God, we need a little bit more extra to add to make you to be able to worship. And you know, what happens when we make it about him? You know, whether or not the style or mode is our preference, God remains worthy of worship. No matter who we are or what we feel, the entire orientation of worship is God-word, not me-word. You know, Hebrews 13 and 15 says, Though him that let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. You know, God calls us to make a sacrifice of praise and worship to him. He knew it wasn't going to always be easy. He knew that wasn't going to always be comfortable. You know, it's not always comfortable to lift your hands, to get on your knees, to get down. And, you know, some people look at you and think, okay, why are they doing that? But you're offering your own sacrifice of praise to him. In Acts 16, 25 through 26, it says, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains fell off every prisoner. You know, I'm sure it was uncomfortable. They were in a jail cell. They were, it was wet. It was tiring. It was dark. But, and it was also midnight. It was late. But here's the thing. They knew that they had to offer a sacrifice of praise unto God. And when they did that, here's what happens. The chains fell off, and the prisoners were free. So when we come in here, we may not feel like worshiping. You know, when I come in here every Sunday, every Wednesday, I don't always feel like it. But what I know is that when I offer a sacrifice of praise unto him, chains fall. People are set free. You know, it's uncomfortable, but when we embrace the discomfort or become lightly put out, it forces us to focus on why we are actually here, who we are really coming to worship. You know, when we worship, he wars. And so the thing is, worship isn't always comfortable. It's not always comfortable for us up here. It's not always comfortable for you out there. 
But when we push and we force ourselves to worship, no matter what we feel like, no matter what has happened, he always, we, he always gets the glory. and We always give him the honor. Um, you know, we've heard different aspects, right, this morning of the uncomfortable church and, and the things that we deem uncomfortable, right? Um, I'm going to start in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25. It says, And let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds, not forsaking our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more faithfully as you see the day approaching. So commitment means the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause. And the word commit actually occurs 164 times in Scripture. 164 times. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like something that may hold a lot of weight. Commitment. If you play a sport... Do you got to be committed? If you work a job and you do it well, do you need to be committed? What does that mean? What does commitment mean? For most of us, especially newer generations, commitment is often a hard choice. It's obviously at times very uncomfortable. Just as we have discussed uncomfortable unity, love, faith, holiness, worship, truth, Right? Those things are not always easy. Sometimes they can be difficult. But we have to be dedicated to these things, right, in our walk. To some people, to commit or to dedicate might almost feel restricting, right? Restricting. Because we're carnal. We have a, a human nature, it's not a secret that sometimes we may choose the easy route. We may choose what is easier because, like some have said, it don't, it don't feel good today. We don't, we're not feeling it today. Life is hard. Every day, life is hard. We're hit with things that are difficult. And sometimes we are people. We're going to feel like it's not easy and like we just don't want to do it, right? If we admit it, it's easier to self-serve self-love, to choose things such as church attendance, where you go to church, where you worship, how you worship, what truth you choose to believe, the type of unity or the things that we see in our services. It is easier to do those things based on what works best for me, right? But that's not what the biblical truth says that God created us for. C.S. Lewis authored a passage about a hall of rooms where he makes a comparison of committing to a place of worship. He says, are these doctrines true? Is holiness here? Does my conscience move me towards this? Is my reluctance to knock at this door due to my pride or my mere taste or my personal dislike of the particular doorkeeper, the people that we encounter? He begins this by asking whether the doctrine is inspired by word, by God. Is there holiness? Do we see holiness? Is God in it? Right? Does your spirit feel? Does it pull you there? Not your mind. Not being tired. Not how you feel. Not you had a bad day. Not you had a bad week. Not your car quit. But your spirit. What you feel in your heart. 
Is it pulling you there? These are the ways that we should evaluate commitment to our church body, but also in any area of our lives as Christians. Sometimes life is uncomfortable. It just is. We've already said that. But if we are to commit, we cannot make spiritual choices based on pride, personal taste, or personal dislike for a situation or a person. We just can't. It's easy to want to do so, but it's not what God says. Matthew six thirty three says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Nowhere here, this is going to sound a little harsh, but it's just real. It's what I felt God say to me. Nowhere here do we see that it says, but seek first the things that you prefer because they're comfortable to you. And then if it's fitting to you, do some nice things for Jesus. That's not what scripture says. And I'm not just saying that to you. I'm saying that to me. Sometimes when I wake up, I don't feel like dealing with, with a bunch of kids. I love them. I love them with everything in my body. I really do. You have no idea how much I love them. They don't even have to be mine, and I love them. I want them here. But that don't mean I wake up every morning unicorns and rainbows and saying, yes, let's go back here and jump around and fall and break my neck and do all these great things that I don't ever do if I'm not here with them. But I'm committed. I choose it. I'm committed to them. Yeah, I get a little bit of a paycheck. It is not a drop in the hat of the reward that I feel from being committed to them. That's what it takes. That's the hard truth. Our preferences and our comfort do nothing, nothing to take our neighbors and our friends to heaven. Our preferences and our comforts, I'll say that again, do nothing. They do nothing. His word says, seek his righteousness. Put his kingdom first, right? Kingdom first. His, not mine. His, not yours. It does nothing. His. Unfortunately, commandments have nothing to do with being comfortable. They have nothing to do with being comfortable. They have nothing to do with what we prefer. We must choose to commit anyway because it's what God tells us to do. Charles Spurgeon says, I believe that every Christian ought to be joined to some visible church. That is his plain duty according to scriptures. God's people are not dogs. Otherwise, they might go out one by one. But they are sheep. Therefore, they should be in flocks. We belong together. Plugged in, working together, and lifting one another up that we are to benefit the kingdom together. There's benefit in being committed. Yes, I've talked about how it's hard. It is hard. Some days it's not fun. And it's almost different in our minds. We think, oh, it's easier to do this. But really by choosing to lay out, by choosing to not commit, by choosing to do it your way, you enslave yourself. You enslave your. There's not true freedom in that. There is benefit in being committed. It's not comfortable, but it helps us. It builds us. It does benefit us when we can't see it. Acts 2.46 says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were saved. 
this year, we are focusing on kingdom first. That's our goal in every area, in holiness, in truth, in unity and love, in worship, in everything we do, in commitment and covenant with God, kingdom first. That's about those being saved. Yes, it's about these four walls, but what happens in these four walls has got to go out into this community. As Karen has already said, we can't change the White House if we don't change this church. Not this church, but God's church globally. Commitment is essential. It's a sacrifice for the kingdom, but it's a sacrifice that gives us freedom. When you're hurting, when you're feeling alone, when you need someone, there's a community that comes with commitment. There's a community that is committed to you in your commitment to them. We weren't made to live on an island alone, right? We were not. We were made to build each other. Yes, we must choose to keep on when we don't feel like it. Yes, we must give when we don't really feel like giving sometimes. But then when we need to be given to, we can call on a community that is committed to us. It's hard, but it's rewarding. There's not enough money or worldly gain in this earth that could provide to the fulfillment, that provide you with the fulfillment or reward that commitment to God and commitment to this church, my commitment to my ministry, and my commitment to the children or the people that God places in my ministry gives me. There is nothing that compares. There's just something about knowing that your commitment to this body of Christ and your choice to put the kingdom first, to put the kingdom first, could someday take somebody to heaven with you, to take somebody to heaven with you, because this building won't go. The money won't go. The politics, praise God, will not go. None of that goes except for the person sitting next to you except for the person that lives next to you on your block, except for the people that you come in contact with daily, there who goes. And that's the kingdom. And that's the kingdom first. Commitment is uncomfortable, but it's required, it's necessary, and it is without a doubt worth the sacrifice for kingdom first this morning.